When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Deep Focus Podcast. It's been a minute. We are part of the Playlist Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rodrigo Perez. I'm also the editor-in-chief of theplaylist.net. This week on the podcast, we've got Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World Dominion, and his co-writer on the film, Emily Carmichael, a filmmaker and screenwriter in her own right, known for many and acclaimed shorts, which debuted at places like Sundance, Tribeca, South by Southwest, Slamdance, and more. Carmichael wrote Pacific Rim Uprising, and before Dominion, she wrote Battle at Big Rock, a 2019 short that Trevorrow directed set after the events of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, starring Andre Holland and Natalie Martinez. It's pretty good. It's sort of lead up to their work on Dominion. As I speak these words, Dominion is about to be in the world and in theaters. Uh, about five days ago or so, I got a chance to sit down with Trevorrow and Carmichael and talk about their epic new film. You know, and I recognize I might be an outlier here, but I really dig uh, Trevorrow's Jurassic World films and his approach to them, which I feel are like, you know, kind of like a logical extension of the Jurassic Park films in a specific way. At least that's how I see them, like cautionary tales about science, commerce, ambitious ideas, playing God, and the moral responsibility about what creators make. Um, to me, Jurassic Park, or the best part of it, anyhow, was always born out of that line, you know, your your scientists are so preoccupied with whether they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. You know, that line that Jeff Goldblum's Ian Malcolm character delivers in the film, and Jurassic Park Corp fans don't kill me, but I think I messed up his name in the heat of the moment in our conversation, um, the character's name. Uh, it's the moral and ethical questions about the dangers of playing God, the Prometheus and Icarus allegories about the cautionary tales of ambition and technology. Um, that's the sort of stuff that I really like. That's my always been my sort of favorite part, the meat of the Jurassic Park films. And I think that's kind of what um, uh, Trevorrow has taken. To me, uh, Trevorrow's film latched onto all that and in a real world grounding kind of way. You know, his scripts and, and stories always seem to be built around the idea. So like what would happen in the real world if dinosaurs existed and the real reality of that? And as many of his films show, it's that capitalism, not life, finds a way and, and finds a way to profit off these animals with everyone exploiting them and everyone trying to get a little piece of the pie at the expense of these creatures. You know, they're animals, too, um, and, and they deserve their own kind of um, space and, 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 you know, rights. So Jurassic World was a movie about, to me, you know, about corporate greed and military interests, essentially. Fallen Kingdom is essentially an animal trafficking black market movie. And Dominion pushes it all into the logical step of like an Elon Musk-like tech genius putting their fingers on the scale and causing all kinds of catastrophic problems with their, you know, red flag, save the world hubris. Um, yes, the Jurassic World films are oddly full of action and thrills and frights, and even these last two films venturing into horror. But for me, I'm personally interested in a lot of that socio-political texture that grounds these films and gives them the logical launching pad to lift off from. And then sort of it's like, you know, you're doing these 
uh, epic action adventure things, but they're, they have something to say. They have, they're thoughtful. And, th- and that's how I see them. You know, I, I know a lot of people do disagree with me. That's totally fine. So a lot of my car- conversation with Colin and Emily is about that, frankly. You know, some of the early scenes of this film, uh, you know, where you see animal rights activists saving dinosaurs from illegal farms. You know, that reminds me of Bong Joon-ho's Okja. And I feel the entire film's in, film sneaks in a lot of that similar kind of commentary. And like Okja, Okja is a movie about empathy for everyone, for animals and creatures. And Dominion has a very, very similar kind of um, idea to it. It's a movie about parents and their children too, and what world and what the world is going to be left for their children to inherit, if any world at all. In that sense, Dominion is born from a great sense of empathy too, and a yearning for affording care, respect, and empathy to all living things, even dinosaurs, which is, you know, pretty damn humanist too in its story. So, sure, this might sound wildly pretentious, and I certainly call myself out about that in this podcast, but personally, it's how I like to engage with this franchise. It's got some political messaging, too, that's beyond the environment or simply animal rights, but just about humanity. Because if we can't all get along, what planet is going to be left for us to share? Its ideas of harmony and the urging for the end of discord is pretty timely. None of it smashes you over the face, of course, and really much of it is in the background of all the thrills and scares and dinosaurs, which is, yes, enjoyable, pleasurable, you know, some of it very visceral and crazy action scenes that are maybe more in the form of Bourne and um, Jason uh, Jason Bourne and Bond movies than um, the recent uh, Spielberg movies. But, you know, uh, as Colin says in this movie, it's like at some point it was his turn to sort of just do his own thing. And not just, you know, amplify what uh, Steven Spielberg has done, even though that legacy weighs very heavy on him. Um, but yeah, I like the meat on the on my bone, like, you know, some human texture in between the madness of chases and attacks and desperate escapes. Um, so in that regard, I think the Dominion delivers and I, you know, I think you should check it out. It's in theaters now. Someone said on uh, Twitter the other day, uh, a guy who works in a movie theater and, you know, he had seen it's already open and he's been seeing all these kinds of kids in there. Uh, and he was like, I think the Jurassic Park films, the Jurassic World films, excuse me, are going to be reevaluated and seen um, by a new generation in the same way that the Star Wars prequels are. And, you know, we know what that means. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that's going to be the same thing, too. A new generation is going to see them differently. Before I forget, as always, Deep Focus is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, the regular weekly Playlist Podcast, The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, and more. And you can, we can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and or wherever you get your podcasts. Do us a big favor, because we do put a lot of effort into these things. <laughs> be sure to subscribe to our podcast and drop us a comment or a rating, as we do appreciate it. You know, share it when you can. If you like something, please tell someone. We would we would honestly really appreciate it. So thank you for listening. Um, okay, that's the end of my spiel. Here's me talking to Colin Trevorrow and Emily Carmichael about Jurassic World Dominion. I hope you enjoy it. If I can change one mind about how they see Dominion and some of its weighty and thoughtful ideas, well, then I think I've done my job. All right, enjoy. Hey, Colin. Hey, Emily. How you guys doing? How's it going? Good to see you, man. Good. Good to see you. Tell me about this big this big movie you guys did, the spectacle, this whole thing. I really enjoyed this thing. And I, I love one of my the main things I really love about this series and what Colin sort of brought to it as you guys started in, in uh, Jurassic World is that kind of like real world consideration uh, of everything. Like it, it, that's the ground floor to me. It always feels like um, you have this fantastical thing. I'm not sure if the idea is to like, here's how to ground it or you just want to have this 
real world consideration of everything, but it, it, it feels like it's a total logical look at, okay, if we had dinosaurs in the world, how would the world react? And it almost in some ways feels like a lot of things fall into place or write themselves in a way, because it's like, oh yeah, corporations, <laughs> like tell oh, yeah. me about all that, because that stuff's like such this good meaty texture that uh, really gives it the, an awesome foundation to work with. Well, there was that moment when I keep thinking about the moment when Owen like jumps his motorcycle onto the plane. And I feel like there was a there was an earlier version of that moment where I saw it in my head as like this like evil Knievel style, like him in like full profile with this like perfect arc, like you know, bouncing onto the plane. And there was this one time you texted me and you were like, No, this should be like they should get on that plane in chaos, right? It should be like messy, it should be difficult, they should be banged up and bruised. And I think the words you used were like, nothing is tidy, nothing is easy. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I would say like you know as far as why we treat it that way on a macro level, it's yeah. it's kind of the assignment. Like that's what Crichton did, and yeah. and that's what you know that's what Stephen did, and and Jurassic Park. Um, uh, another journalist pointed this out the other day, and I, and I thought it was uh, it was it was pretty smart in that this is the kind of the only franchise that's just regular people who are professionals uh, or parents or scientists uh, in our world who are dealing with something uh, that is you know fantastical. But in this case, the fantastical things were real. That's part of what makes us a science franchise. And so I think leaning into that at all times, treating the dinosaurs as animals, which is something we've done in this trilogy a little bit more. Even they're not they're not monsters. Um, I think all. All of that is really consistent with the book, honestly. Interesting. Because I, you know, I, I don't know the books. I obviously know the movies. And I do see all the stuff that you're talking about from the movies. But I do still feel like it's more pronounced in these series. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, you this consideration of science, technology, and capitalism. And how those things in our world work today. And I'm not sure if it's meant to be exact commentary but man it's really some of it's like wow this is this guy may not be a elon musk but he's there's a lot of echoes yeah we mean it yeah well, <laughs> i you know we're both uh we come from different places but uh, you know we are we are progressive people and 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 yet we both agree that we're not here to to lecture and instruct anybody we're here to entertain the whole world and so finding a balance between something that that does talk about the kind of things that we're interested in it's sometimes a trojan horse for ideas that has value to us but also yeah. like entertaining the hell out of everybody and making sure that whole families can take kids to this movie and it works on that level too is is of equal importance so we yeah. kind of find a balance. I mean, fundamentally, I feel like one of the spiritual cores of the franchise is, like, um, being a grown-up and, like, going to the mat for a kid that, like, you've never met before. This is something that, like, keeps on happening in the franchises, like, whether it's, like, you know, your nieces and nephews who, like, you, you don't know that well, or this child, this <laughs> random child that you just come across, and that way that, like, adults, um, like, who are brave and good people step up to protect children, and the way that, like, people can work together to protect each other is one of the things I think we all can agree on. Well, that kind of brings me to another, like, you know, it's like I'm talking about all this sort of uh, the thematic stuff, but that's like, you know, to me, I don't want to sound pretentious, but like a lot of this, this especially this one, really uh, just sort of echoes out in this, this um, like, like really literally what you're saying. Like, I feel a real sense of empathy and humanity in in the, the story. Like, you know, the, that early scene reminds me of some of the things that happen in Bong Joon-ho's uh, Okja with the animals and you know things like that and and I was like oh wow you know and like I mean the the empathy theme especially like you know people call the animal rights but I'm like no it's bigger than that it's like we're like an empathy for everything and, and a consideration for the world and that that includes animals 
all kinds of creatures. You know, I love that kind of consideration about uh, that, that you guys put into this. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. I, I, I feel like part of the job of this movie was to clarify what we've been saying with all three of the movies. Uh, and I think there was, even when Jurassic World came out, I remember reading articles, you know, uh, on playlists is, you know, this question of like, wow, is this like a really anti-corporate diatribe, like cloaked as a, as a blockbuster movie? Uh, and the answer is kind of, yeah, uh, but uh, but hopefully but it's not. It's also in a, a really good blockbuster movie because says. it was really, 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 really <laughs> important to be that we give that yeah. to everybody. Uh, and that's the, and the truth. And the second one, you know, is this an animal trafficking movie? Don't you know it, what are the results of bringing uh, living things from one continent to another? It is, but also, you know, really fun and people get chomped. And so it's a balance. Well, it's cool because just like you said, like, is this animal, is it a movie about animal trafficking? No, but you use that as a launching pad to get into like all these crazy things. So it's like that consideration, um, which I love. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that kind of uh, technique. Emily, tell me like, you know, like, like, uh, um, uh, Colin's a, a Derek Connolly guy. He, he's that's his that's his buddy. His everything that the Derek or the, sorry that Colin ever does is with Derek. And and this is I think the first one that's co-written uh, without without Derek. I know Derek is, is screen credit, but tell me how you get involved in all that because that's a so it brings a new dimension to it. Um, well, there are story elements in place from uh, Derek and Colin's work at the time that I got on board. So a lot of those sort of like pieces of the story like were in place. I was actually asked the other day, like when we knew that the legacy cast was coming back, but they were they were always coming back. It was always right? a plan. Yeah, they were they were always coming back. I think you know what I think it was. I think there was the moment when um, when it was like they all said yes, and I remember I remember yep. you sending yep. me that text. It's like they're all in. I forget, do you remember who was the last to say yes? I, it all happened very quickly because oh, yeah, yeah. uh, people were super down to come and do it but then it became the question well what are we going to do when we get there and that was the hard part for us is you know knowing you know even once you have a a story once you have a general plot structure understanding you know what each of these people uh has been doing what the perspective is on the world Mm -hmm. what their relationship is with each other Mm -hmm. how we're going to you know in this movie create a plot engine that's driven by Edley Sattler's character because she's just the one of the three that never had a movie where yeah. she was the engine of the plot. We all sort of agreed that like she should really shine in this movie since she didn't get a sequel of her own. Right. And she does. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you bring up legacy characters. They're all, they're obviously um, very beloved and there are so many people in there. It must be really fun to write for. Like, I mean, writing for uh, um, uh, the Ian character uh, uh, is just, I mean, that guy's, is, you know, uh, and everybody <laughs> obviously loves. Jeff Goldblum, but we're at yes, the point geez, how, how much, how no I... longer have to know and remember wow. names. Like it's really, honestly, it's really hard. <laughs> right. I'm, how, how did I do that? I don't know. But yes, Jeff Goldblum you. is amazing, and writing for him must be, in, especially and in specifically in this character, is, is must be a lot of fun. And then you get to like weave like so much like thematic stuff in there, like you know, B.D. Wong's characters like got this whole atonement thing, which again sort of cycling back to you, like what you guys said earlier, like good people trying to do good things. And I love that kind of that thing that where you use that with some of these legacy characters like you know bd wong and and tell me about that because that's a that's a nice theme in there too you know um i think bd really really came hard with that interpretation he did because we were dealing with like him like you know facing regrets and like having to redeem himself um and he he like you know because there might have been a tendency for him to fight that for him to want to be like more like dominant and heroic or whatever but like i think he really decided that his character is like feeling a lot of pain and is and is really sort of shattered at the start of the movie and he thinks 
I think he did that with the arc in mind, so that like when we see him in the field at the end, he actually yeah. Well, that actually that moment in the field at the end was the first thing I shot with him. And that's you know wouldn't oh, that ideally be that way, sense. but like he showed up and well, and he did what what sense, he yeah. does in that scene. And once he did that, he yeah. actually told me you know just by his performance what we were gonna do with the rest yeah. of it. So he formed the arc backwards in a way because yeah. he landed in such an emotional redemptive place. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think everything. I- came in with strong ideas about where they were in the world. Um, and like Sam Neill being like, Alan Grant is like somebody who like feels like the world has left him behind, right? He's stuck in his ways. Um, Laura being like, I think Dr. Sattler is somebody who's like in her prime and is discovering like new freedoms that she never knew she could have. Um, and those interpretations sounded so right that I think they really informed the character's journeys in the movie. God, that's gonna be awesome. So you like have these quick conversations with them and then it's like feeding like into a screenplay that's already going, right? And you're just yep. iterating and iterating and going on it, yeah. Not that um, quick though. There was like there was like a good the, the, I remember a good the call solid. Laura was long. Yeah. I think it was like it was like 50 minutes, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. Um, do you have like a, a a biggest challenge in filming this? Obviously, COVID is is one of them that's kind of the obvious one, but like some of the stuff that I think was maybe shot in in Malta reminds me of like like Jason Bourne or, or, or Bond or something. That stuff's like, like vicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, that that stuff, I remember there was a, I mean, first of all, there, were, there was a, a goal on my part to, to finally stop, you know, leaning on the crutch of Steven Spielberg's brilliance when it comes to the filmmaking. And I think all of us, you know, J.A. and I, we would, we would talk about, you know, pushing back against trying to emulate him all the time, but we would find ourselves doing it because we're making a movie in a franchise and these movies need to feel of a piece. And that's also, you know, the assignment in a way. And so on this one, I finally felt like we had an opportunity, you know, halfway through six movies in to just kind of like shatter it. And it's all handheld and it's it's just really dirty and you barely, you know, sometimes you miss the dinosaur. It's like there's yeah, yeah. camera people on the backs of other motorcycles <laughs> trying to capture it. And that to me was, it was just, it was thrilling because I, I felt like we, well, maybe we finally, you know, we're at a point where we can break away a little bit. Right. I mean, obviously, Stephen's legacy is a, is a is a big thing to to hard to break away from. Tell me about like also, you know, what was kind of cool? Like I thought, like it, it, this is an interesting thing. Speaking of like kids and children and all this stuff, like all this, some of the dinosaurs that you introduce in, into this one, like I, I had to look up them afterwards, like the Pyroraptor and the Theranosaurus. I'm gonna, they're all late Cretaceous yeah. animals that yeah. I didn't know really know, but I did know them because of, I've read books to my son who's into dinosaurs and he's six and he's really into design and and i would be like oh that was from that thing i have no clue what that is but like they're all new and i've never seen these dinosaurs in these movies and i only knew them from from my son's book so tell me like it's sort of fun to introduce like these pretty different creatures like and and some of them are pretty nasty and and terrifying (laughs) um i gosh i actually remember the introduction of every single one of them i remember a few that like didn't make it into the movie um, for me, like a challenge that was like very indicative of like what it's like to write uh, a Jurassic movie and maybe even an action movie in general is, you know, so the way that we worked is we we refined this outline together, like over many, many work sessions. Um, and then we had this outline and then I would do like a first pass on the pages based off the outline. And we had this like one outline item that was like Quetzalcoatlus attacks the hero's plane as it flies over Biosyn Valley, which sounds awesome, but also like how, 
you know, how does it happen? Does it like, do they crash into it? Like, what's going on? So that moment of being like, well, what would that be? What would it be like? How would a large flying dinosaur attack a plane? And like, maybe it's like circling overhead and it's going to like dive bomb them. So figuring that kind of stuff out um, was such a thrill. And I have special fondness for Quetzalcoatlus for that reason. Quetzalcoatlus and Lystrotaurus, I think, are my favorite dinosaurs in the movie because I remember like writing their scenes and like bringing them to life. Um, before I, that moment, uh, when the plane is attacked, we actually used a YouTube video of a hawk attacking, attacking a model yes. plane that it didn't like. Uh, and the size was you know, roughly the same. And, and so it's the, the actual like swoop down and the grab are based on that YouTube video. Yeah, so when I was writing that, I did, I did start looking at YouTube videos of hawks and like figuring out like what it's like. Um, a hawk that is, a bird of prey that's diving is the fastest animal that exists. That's the fastest speed that any animal achieves, which I think is really interesting. Um, the moment when mother and baby dinosaur are reunited again, I was like, well, how, how would they be reunited? Like, how would these two dinosaurs act towards each other? Like, how would they express their relationship? And I looked at YouTube videos of dogs of like mothers and puppies being reunited. So when I was writing those descriptions, that's what I was watching. That's cool. Again, that feels like the real world informing what you. That's your headline. Have. With Dominion is the world's most expensive YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about like some of those those scenes when you. Well, I guess two two questions. The legacy characters. What were your biggest challenges in bringing them all together? And then what was it like? those scenes when you have like all of them together, like everybody finally together for those moments, which is, you know, pretty, pretty satisfying for those audiences. Well, I talk about that moment a lot where it's the old and new characters, like finally coming face to face and how I feel like I wrote like, you know, 17 versions of what their lines would be. And I feel like you wrote versions of what their lines would be. And then you look at it in the final movie and they look at each other and they say nothing because they just look at each other and, and the look carries it. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, it, to me, like the authenticity was going to come out of a, a long process of becoming familiar with each other first, because we all were living together at a hotel and knew each other really well, talking it out. And then once we got into that situation, trying to, to shed it all and forget it all, because we did understand, you know, whether these characters knew each other. That was the biggest question. Like, does yes. Ellie know who Claire what would is? They know about what each would other? They know that about was each a big other. deal. Yeah. Uh, and once we figured that out, and some of them in yeah. the end did know something about the, and that actually is what the conversation ended up being is like, yeah. what, what is your dynamic? And then once that's established, we kind of got to go because <laughs> the movie, the movie uh, is going to leave without us. Right. There is a little bit of that. Like, Oh, I read your book or I, I know. Who you, yeah. Man, that's, just enough. Hopefully yeah. just not too much. For sure. Um, tell me also about Lewis uh, Dodson Campbell or Dodson. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Dodson. Campbell Scott's character. That's from the books too. Right. Because like, yeah. I, I didn't get the I didn't get the can at first. I was like, wait, oh, he's got the the the, the can from the original the Newman had uh, the, the Barbasol, yeah. and I was like, oh, and I, I had to look about uh, that a little bit afterwards. But he's from the books, right? Well, he's from the movie. You remember him in the movie. He's the guy who gives him the briefcase. He's like the nervous guy with the briefcase. They meet at the little tiki bar. A little hat he on. Meets Newman. That's yeah. him. Yeah. In the and he says, we got Dodson. We got Dodson here. The bag man. Oh, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like, it's been so long. But, like, that's a... a that's a 30 year something connection. That's it's like, a deep cut, but, but I think for fans, it's, yeah. it's not at all. I mean, yeah. for fans, it's where, you know, where is Dodson? Where is Biosyn? That's been, I think a question for, because that's, that's again, in the books, a, a big deal. So for us, like, you know, it's, Yes, it's it's for deep fans of 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 the lore, but also if you watch all six of these movies again, yeah. you're gonna see him at the beginning. You're gonna see a character call him out really loudly, and then you'll see him be the villain in the end. Yeah. 
Right. And that's the other thing that I find interesting is like, you know, there's so much talk about legacy sequels and there's obviously legacy stuff in here, but I don't, I like the way you guys did this and I don't feel very like some legacy sequel stuff is too, it's a little too heavy handed for me. And I found this yeah. like very like organic. Yeah. The shaving can is subtle. It's like we, and there were like versions where I had a version that I really liked where it's like, you know, people are lost in the, in the jungle and we don't know when, and then they find the rusted can and it was like, Oh, and then we realize it's like back in 1993 or whatever. Um, but I, I like what we landed on, which is that like, it's, it's way more subtle and it doesn't sort of hit you over the head with it. It's probably the result of me having been doing this, you know, for eight years and, and having, you know, been slowly trying to, to push away from, just homage and nostalgia yeah. in general and, and yeah. try to move forward into something that, that really uh, feels new. Yeah. Cause again, when you watch them all, if you, if you watch, you know, three, four movies and then it just turns into several movies that are remembering the things you loved about the early ones, that's a weird watch, yeah. you know, as yeah. one long story. So yeah, there's not you know. a single moment in the movie that's there simply because it calls back to an earlier moment. It all serves its own purpose. And it's all something that like, I think you would enjoy even without like total familiarity with the mm -hmm. movies that came before it. Mm -hmm. I, I really love your like kind of uh, final message, you know, that final shot, the dinosaurs walking along with like elephants along and it's kind of like, can't we all get along? And, and it's, it's this sort of, in a way, and I, I find it throughout. And again, it's, you're not, it's not heavy handed at all. It's, it's very, it's very subtle. People won't notice it, but like, I feel like there's a lot of like political stuff in, in like, or at least, humanistic political stuff about like in in this movie like the, as the, kind of the main theme whether people see it or not like that it's echoes from today to me it's like if we can't figure out things together now there's going to be no future you've got a whole parental thing you got children that the dinosaurs have children it's like what are we going to leave for this world if we can't like, coexist in the world and that uh, tell me about that because that's my 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 ultimate favorite part of it Oh, well, you. we wanted to place the characters in a situation where they had to cooperate and they had to work together, um, not because it's nice or it's sweet or it's our personal political preference, but because if they don't do that, they'll die. Like, they'll die. Like, there is a locust plague that is consuming, like, the world food supply. And unless our characters, like, put their heads together and figure this out and work together and, and trust each other, humanity has no shot. I, yeah, I, I agree that I, I agree with you. I, I, the, all of that is intentional, and it's all intentionally at you know it's not on the surface. And hopefully, it's at a, it's at a, on another layer that you can you can take it or leave it. And and yet, I do think there's a there's a pervasive sense of of dread amongst the characters in the film. And there's these comments that a lot of it came out of the way we were feeling while we made the movie. But even you know you know Caleb Heron's role, a guy shows up and says you know we're not going to be around much longer anyway. Uh, you know, lines like that are, uh, and, and Omar C, you know, you, you know, the way the world is headed, it's hard to look away. Uh, Kayla's thread of, of, you know, not looking the other way and, and, and getting into the fight. Uh, you know, Ellie telling Alan, he's got to join the fight. Yeah, like there's, yeah. there's a real consistent sense of like, we all have to, to team up to figure out how to solve these problems together. I love that. I feel it's the humanism at the core of this thing. Um, and I, and so I, I, I thank you guys for including that stuff in there because it's like, it's, that's a lot of depth to me. I feel like it's, there's a lot of care there. There's a care about humanity and people and dinosaurs. And, 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 uh, and so, yeah, it works really well together in that. And it's also really thrilling and terrifying. So <laughs> thanks for guys for doing that. I, I haven't shown this one to my kids yet, but um, I can't, maybe, maybe to be a little bit older, but I can't wait to wait till the nine-year-olds definitely going to be seeing it. Seeing it so. I'll just take them. It's fine. Just <laughs> buy a ticket. It's fine. Just They'll, they'll love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your time. Good seeing you guys. Take care, man. Bye.